אנחנו נקרא מדף מ"ז עמוד ב', Overriding Instinct, הבלה שלא תאכל. We have an interesting piece of Gemara today. We have a Machloikis Tosfis and the Rosh, which I'm going to explain in a quite a foundational way. And then, based on Tosfis's perspective, we're going to have a comment of the Shem Mishmuel, on which I have a major question. And by answering the question using yesterday's principle, it all becomes very clear. The case here comes from the Mishnah, the previous Omud. If a person puts a pile of fruit, he dumps a pile of fruit into his neighbor's yard. The neighbor's animal, the neighbor's cow, let's say, overeats the fruit. It eats the fruit and then overeats and gets sick and possibly dies as a result of that. So the Mishnah says, if this was done shelobirushut, that means the person who dumped the fruit had no permission to dump the fruit there. The owner doesn't have to pay for the fruit. The owner of the yard doesn't have to pay for the lost fruit. And if the cow was damaged because she ate too much of the fruit, bala peirot chayav. The owner of the fruit is obligated. Says the Gemara on Omad, on Omad Beis, Omar Rav, lo shanu ela shehuchleka bahem. This, that the person who dumped the fruit, the owner of the fruit, is responsible for the damage to the cow, is if the cow slipped on the fruit. Aval achla, but if she overate the fruit, patur, then the owner of the, of the fruit is not responsible. My timer, why? So given the case is a man comes, dumps a whole lot of fruit in his neighbor's yard, the neighbor's animal eats the fruit, eats too much of the fruit, and dies of illness. Why is the man who had no permission to put the fruit there, he just dumped the fruit with, without any permission in his neighbor's yard, why is he patu? Because the animal shouldn't have eaten it. strange thing since when do we hold the animal responsible for the choices it made it was a bad choice for the animal to eat it not my, not my responsibility the animal shouldn't have eaten it so we have a machlokas tosfus and, and the rosh as to how to understand that tosfus and the tosfus read and tosfus rabbeinu parents all the tosfus and, and this is all during the 13th century the schools of tosfus our tosfus on the, on the page and tosfus harid tosfus rabbeinu parents they're all in that 13th century period they explain it that The ox or the cow, so to say, knowingly did something damaging to its health. It's an interesting idea. So the owner of the fruit is not responsible. The, the, the cow acted against its instinct. Animals normally know how much to eat. They also know what's, what's good for them and what isn't good for them. And this cow decided to overeat. That's a decision, a choice the cow made, which you can't hold the owner responsible for. I mean, the Tosfus Reed explains it a little bit further and says, He hezika atzma biyadayim. The animal caused its own death. The animal made the choice that led, led to its death. And this man who put the fruit in the yard, he's just a grammar. He's an indirect cause of the damage. The fact that the fruit was there, normally an animal wouldn't eat the fruit. Animals don't eat fruit. And if they do, they taste a little bit and they realize it's not for them. It's not his fault that this animal decided to act against its instinct. And to eat unhealthy things and unhealthy fruits, and the animal died as a result of it. That's how Tosfus Harid learns it. The Rosh learns it, that the owner of the fruit, the man who dumped the fruit, couldn't be expected to foresee that the animal would do this. Because animals don't usually do that, and therefore he's not, he's not responsible. Not because the animal made a choice and the animal instigated the damage. It's just a question of who's responsible 
to foresee and to take measures and steps to avoid this happening. So we can't say that the Bala Perut should have taken steps to avoid it happening because it's not something predictable. It's an unlikely event. On the contrary, says the Rosh, it's the owner of the yard who should have watched what his animal's eating. He's in the yard all the time. It's his animal. It's his yard. He sees his animal is going up to a pile of fruit and eating the fruit. He should have, he should have kept an eye on it and made sure that the animal didn't eat too much. So the Rosh learns it as matters of, of culpability. Who's culpable? Who should have taken care of the animal? Somebody should have taken care of the animal. The question is, is it the owner of the fruit who couldn't have predicted it or the owner of the animal who could have seen it? But according to Tosfus, it's not about somebody should take care of the animal. The animal shouldn't have eaten in the first place, which is closer to the simple translation of the Gemara. The animal shouldn't have eaten, which is difficult to understand conceptually, but it's what the Gemara seems to say. It's not you should have taken care of the animal. The animal shouldn't have eaten it. The animal took, took a step. The animal caused its own illness. It's like the animal steps in front of a car that's going at a normal speed and the car's driving carefully and the animal steps in front of the car. The animal did that. It's not the car that knocked the animal over. The animal steps in front of the car. So here too, the animal chooses to act against its instinct and eat something unhealthy. That's not the Balaperus's problem. If we go a bit deeper into the underlying perspective of Tosfus and Rosh, it's very interesting that the, the Rosh holds that an animal always acts instinctually. What, you can't hold an animal responsible for anything it does. It always acts instinctually. If it feels like, it, for some reason, it has an instinct to eat the fruit. It, it doesn't sit there and choose and decide how many calories on the food and should I eat the fruit or shouldn't I eat the food. He, the animal wants to eat, so he eats. The Rosh says you can't hold an animal responsible for anything. It's the owner or the, or the shomer, the person who's responsible for looking after the animal or the owner of the animal, should be taking care of the animal. You can't expect the animal to be doing it himself. Tosfus's perspective is that there are times when an animal can choose to act against its instinct, to do something stupid. And, and that's a, almost a decision, almost a choice of the animal. And in such a case, the animal has caused its own demise. Now, going with Tosfus, there's a very interesting Shem Mishmur. The Shem Mishmur we've spoken about before, that's the second Sochet Rebbe. The first Sochet Rebbe was the Avne Nezer, the Igle Tal, the same, the same person who wrote the Avne Nezer and the Igle Tal, very, very important works in, 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 in Lomdus. And the, uh, his son, the Shem Mishmur, wrote the Shem Mishmur. I spoke on Shabbos about how important the Medrashir is, that, that one learns that through Medrash, you learn things you can't learn any other way. There's no, there's no other channel to learn the things that you can learn in, in a medrash if you know how to unpack a medrash. And they all used to give, all we saw the Beis HaLevi's medrash here on Shabbos we learned, and, and the uh, Shem Yishmur used to give a medrash here every Shabbos, and we have them. Uh, this particular shir, he's, he's, he doesn't quote a medrash, he quotes our Gemara uh, in this particular shir that he gave in 1916, was the time, Tafresh Ein on Matos. The uh, Shem Shmuel was um, very interesting altogether. On the one hand, he was a very, very medactic, very, uh, he was from the Kotzka tradition. He was a grandson of the, of the Kotzka Rebbe. On the other hand, he was quite modern, and uh, he got very excited in 1926 when the Balfour Declaration was, was created. He felt that was the beginning of a whole new era. He died very soon after that. And his son came to Israel in the 1930s. He had many children. Most of them were wiped out in the Holocaust. One of his sons came to to Yisrael, lived in Tel Aviv, and his son died in the War of Independence up in the in in the in the Galil. So there he was a very far-thinking sort of a person. 
And he deals with the psukim in Parshish Matot, where Moshe gets angry at the army for sparing the Midianite women. Did you leave the women alive? They were the ones who caused people to go after Avodah Zorah. They were mesitimu medichim. They, they attracted every of the men into, into Avodah Zorah, and that caused the terrible destruction. How can you leave the women alive? They're the real, they're the real issue. I mean, it, it's quite interesting. Today, the world is getting a little angry at Israel for going after Hamas, after what happened on October the 7th. Can you imagine if we would go after a nation for causing us to do Avodah Zorah? You would go after, you know, bomb Germany to pieces because the reform movement started there. But that's, that's what it was. That for, for a Jew, an attack on our moral being is as serious as an attack on our physical being. In the Western world, all we know is an attack on our physical being. You know, attack us on October the 7th, and we're entitled to, to self-defense. But what about a moral attack? That we don't talk about. All the moral attacks that are taking place all the time. The Torah expects people to react to that, not to accept moral attacks. And Midian attacked Am Yisrael morally. And the women were at the forefront of that attack. Asks Moshe, how could you leave the women alive in such a situation? Asks the Shem Mishmur. So what is Moshe criticizing them for? Leaving the women alive because the women goaded them into idolatry, into Avodah Zorah. Okay, that's true. But in addition to that, they goaded them into, into Arias. They goaded them into improper relations. And that's how it all happened. Why doesn't Moshe get angry with them at that? Why doesn't Moshe say, you left the women alive? They were the ones who caused your immorality. And they caused you to... Uh, to worship false gods. But why does it not even reference the fact that they caused you immorality? Answers the Shem Mishmur, based on our Gomorrah here. Based on Tosfus' approach, not the Rosh's approach, the animal shouldn't have eaten. In the same way, if we hold an animal responsible for making a bad choice, the Jewish people are responsible for, for going after those women. They also, they're also responsible, but, but Moshe doesn't come and say, how could you have left the women arrive? They caused you to sin. No, you caused yourselves to sin. You chose to sin. It's not, not that it's not their fault, but it's not only their fault. You made that choice. If an animal can be responsible for eating something unhealthy, you can be responsible for doing something immoral. Don't blame it on the women that you were enticed or you're so weak that some woman comes along and entices you and you don't have the, the moral fortitude to be able to withstand that and say, it's against, I can't do this, this is not moral. Like Yosef said, when Yosef goes through the thing, he says, and he refuses, I can't do this, this is not allowed. You could have done the same. Why did you go after yourself? He says, Moshe, I'm not, it's not that the women need to be destroyed because they attracted you to immorality and adultery. For That's your fault. Their problem was that they attracted you to and a Mesito Mediach says the Shem Mishmur, we have a principle that ain't toanim le Mesit. Even though you maybe you've got a claim, you can say a Mesit, somebody who entices you to serve idolatry, you could say, uh, yeah, I enticed him to serve idolatry, but he didn't have to listen. The din is ain't toanim le Mesit. You don't, you don't find a way out for a Mesit. A seducer, you can find a way out for, and you can say, Don't blame it on the girl. You can make your own decisions. Listen to Hashem. You know, Hashem doesn't deny it. Why did you follow the girl? But when it comes to Messi to Mediach, we don't do that.
And the Shemishwar doesn't explain why not. So that, that's my question that I, that I find so interesting. Why with Mesit and Mediach don't we also say that, that yes, you've got this person who's persuading me to follow a false god. Well, says, no, I don't. I've got the Torah. Why am I, the Jew, less responsible for following the intellectual seducer than following the sensual seducer? You follow what I'm, what I'm saying? For the sensual seducer, it's not that they aren't responsible. Well, they are. But, uh, but Moshe doesn't say, how could you let the women alive? They were the ones responsible for your seduction. No, you're responsible for your own seduction. They facilitated it, but you are responsible. Well, then say the same with Mesut and Mediach. They caused me to serve idolatry. It wasn't they who caused you to serve idolatry. Surely it was you. You could have made the choice as well and decided whether or not you serve idolatry. Why do we say, ain't to anin le No, Mesut, you blame him. You should have wiped these people out because they persuaded you to serve idolatry. Why is that a stronger claim than the claim of seduction? For that we need yesterday's shir. What was the important point of yesterday's shir? It's, it's hard to remember 24 hours ago. The, yesterday's shir, the important point was that a Jew regards a logical proof as very compelling. We're compelled by logical proofs. We, we are compelled by logic. And that's why you'll find Jews at the forefront of all these new movements. Because there's a logical argument for them. Socialism, there's a logical argument. Jews get caught up in it. The liberal progressive, progressiveness today, Jews get caught up in it. All these different movements, Jews get caught up in because there's a logical argument and they latch onto the logic. We love logic. And sometimes we're not always trained to be able to see the flaws in a logical argument. So we hear the logic and we, get, and we get caught up in it. That's what Jews do. Jews don't get caught up in Yetzirah. Yetzirah we know how to withstand. You walk past a Trafe restaurant, you don't go in. You've got these girls, these Midianite girls attracting you. you, you there's, there's no excuse. You, you shouldn't be going there. You shouldn't be there. But Macy to Mediach, what can you do when somebody presents a strong argument to a Jew? That's how the Nachash did it with Chavo. He argued that that's not what Hashem means, and you've got to look at it, and that's not what the Torah means. When you've got that, that's the power of a Macy to Mediach, the power of presenting a false argument to somebody, because that's Jewish weakness and Jewish strength. Our strength is that we regard a, a proof, logical proof, as reality. As we learned yesterday, it can challenge reality. And so when somebody comes with a logical proof that what I think the Torah means isn't really true, the Torah says you've got to keep Shabbos, but that was in those days when it was, it was difficult things to do. But today, to turn a light on or to travel in a car is not an issue. And I give you a whole philosophic proof for that. A Jew listens to that and says, yeah, you're right, it makes sense. We are seduced by logic more than we are seduced by sensuality. We're seduced by logic more than we are seduced by the Yetzirah itself. We're well trained in how to resist the Yetzirah. We don't always do it. Understand it? We're human. But we're well trained. We know how to, how to resist the Yetzirah. But how to, re how to resist a faulty logical argument that we don't. If the logical argument is seductive, we tend to follow it. We tend to go after it. And therefore, Moshe is upset that the Shem Mishmuel explains with the Mesit and Mediach aspect of the girls of Midian more than he's upset about their attempt to attract them sexually, that they should have had the capacity to withstand. But to withstand the logical arguments that they put to follow false gods, that the Mesit of Mediach is responsible, the Ein Toanim Le Mesit.
And all this the Shem Yishmuel learns from Shitas Tosfos, not, not from the Rosh, you get an idea of the difference in the Rosh and Tosfos, and we'll be able to take it a little further tomorrow, Emir Tzashem, also the Rosh's, the Rosh's approach. But it's not from the Rosh, from, from Tosfos, if you understand the underlying perspective, the underlying worldview that causes the Machlokas between Tosfos and the Rosh, then you understand the Shem Mishmul's comment and how he uses this Tosfos to explain the Pashi and Matos. We have a question, there's still something that doesn't make much sense in the Shem Mishmul, but once we are just using yesterday's principle, we're able to answer that and understand the power of logical argument to a Jew, even when the logical argument is distorted and flawed. Mm-hmm.